everyone, and welcome to the Library Talks podcast. This is a show where we talk about books, and we talk about the topics around books. We talk about topics that interest us, that we have a personal investment in. Uh, this is the show all about literary titles that have a literal impact on our lives and yours. Thank you very much for joining me. I am Josh, and I am your host. And with me, I have Kelly. Say hello, Kelly. Hello, Josh. Brilliant. Say hello, Olu. Hello, Josh. And we also have Romana. Say hello, Romana. Hi. Brilliant. Thank you, guys. Uh, well, I mean, very special hello to you, Romana. You're our first author that we have on our podcast. And oh, really? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and we're very, very, very glad to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, you're the author of, well, you're the editor uh, of Bok Bok Books and the author of a book title that I will allow you to pronounce on my behalf. <laughs> Please tell us, uh, yeah, the title and what, what's it called and what's it about? So it's a bilingual book. It's called White and Black. And the uh, Bengali title is Tobtobe o Kuchkute. So Tobtobe and Kuchkute doesn't really uh, translate to white and black. Tobtobe means really white and Kuchkuche means really deep black. So it's kind of like, there's special words in Bangla that convey more than just the color. It's just the sensation of that color that it conveys, so. Oh, um, okay then, okay. Yeah. So with the rest of the words in the book. Okay, so okay, I mean, yeah, yeah, because um, yeah, we all had a look at it and um, it, uh, like the title says, it's kind of like a high contrasting art style, like is it a white and black art style, but then I guess the title also kind of talks about something a little bit deeper than that, there's a little kind of, there's an evocative sense to it as well. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, that's fair to say. Yeah. And, uh, I, I can go into it a, a little bit more, <laughs> uh, but um, I, I could start with a bit of a background for the book maybe? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, where did you get the um, idea to sort of make the book, and what was the process like with uh, with sort of putting it together, yeah. finding that balance between Bangla and English? Yeah. Well, so basically, the whole process started when my daughter was born in two thousand sixteen, and that's when um, the whole idea of raising a child bilingual bilingually became a reality for me. And um, my husband doesn't speak Bangla, uh, and his family doesn't. My family is uh, mostly in Bangladesh. Uh, so I thought I would have to do something a little bit more to fill that void. And um, yeah, so I was lucky enough to go back to Bangladesh every year and kind of just pick up as many books as I could to encourage her to like Bangla. And um, to be honest, although I found loads of books, it just didn't match up in terms of quantity and quality uh, of the books that we can find over here, the English books that we can find over here. And um, I mean, mind you, there's loads of new publishing houses that are doing loads for uh, uh, Bangla children's literature in Bangladesh, but I just thought, you know, I could contribute a little bit maybe to that. <laughs> uh, so I started uh, off with blog, blog books with zero uh, background in publishing and very little investment. I just thought, this is just going to be a great like I do with my children. I'm just going to go ahead and, and do it. So that's the whole story behind um, 
book, book, books. But then I thought, okay, now I have to make a book. And, um, <laughs> uh, I, you know, we, my husband and I were like trying to come up with lots of um, ideas for it. But then one day when I was giving Rabia a bath, I just, I put on the Bangla nursery right for her. And when I give her a bath and um, so uh, it, the, the video started playing um, Hon Hon Pon Pon, which is a, a poem by a very famous uh, Bangla uh, poet called Shukarai. And um, he wrote in the 1800s, but he's still very much alive in Bangla children's literature, uh, even now. And um, so the poem has these special words um, that are kind of like onomatopoeia, but they're more, it's not just sound sensations. It's, uh, you know, uh, it's basically a whole range of sensations that it conveys. Uh, so I thought, Bangla is filled with these languages and, you know, why don't I just introduce this to a wider audience, you know, because they're <laughs> such fun words. Uh, so, yeah, I just uh, looked into it a little bit more, got more interested in it. And after that, it kind of all just, you know, fell into place. I just thought it's going to be a black and white book because I love the whole idea behind introducing books to newborns. Because I didn't know that before I had my daughter. Somebody came and told me, you should read for, to your child from day one. And mm -hmm. I think that that's made a massive difference. So I thought, let me uh, go with that idea. And then, luckily enough, one of my favorite artists, the uh, illustrator for the book, Farah Khanbukar, was actually in the UK at that time. She was doing a, an MA in um, illustration. So I thought... Um, why don't I just meet up with her and just beg her? <laughs> and, um, and yes, she really liked the idea. And she uh, kind of went with it. And it was a massive, steep learning curve. And I'm still learning, but I feel like it's kind of geared me up for more projects in the, in the future. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah, that you just had, uh, well, you kind of realized a sort of gap in the market that there was uh, something that you wanted, that you wanted for your children, that you didn't, that you wasn't finding to a good quality anywhere else. So you just went out and did it yourself. That's like, that's insane. Like no one ever like feels that they can, but you have the confidence to do that, which is like just absolutely amazing. Uh, and I love that you said that, um, yeah, the, um, the kind of stuff that you're hinting at in the book that, uh, that aren't quite onomatopoeia in the Bangla language, just like kind of beautiful, playful, kind of evocative kind of stuff in the, in the words that goes a little bit deeper than just the literal text itself. Uh, yeah, you do kind of get that in a lot of different languages that you just don't get in English. Like we convey a lot of, uh, or in most English kind of like speech, we convey a lot of uh, like meaning through the tone rather than the literal words themselves. But you're able to kind of access a different type of emotion, a different kind of oh, yeah. evocative sense through exactly. the Bangla language, right? Yeah, our uh, language is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the pride there as well. I mean, uh, Kelly, Olu, what are your kind of backgrounds and upbringings in terms of uh, being
being bilingual what what's uh, we'll start with you Kelly like what was okay. your uh yeah what was your upbringing okay uh, so I was um I was born in England um raised in England and um, brought up in the Midlands um by parents who uh, my mother was illiterate didn't speak any English at all my father spoke enough to get by um so I went to school and I had um I really struggled at school um because I felt that not having English as a first language held me back um and I felt I didn't have that literacy support that I think our kids have these days that kids do have generally and I felt mm. it knocked my confidence because I also struggled with being an Asian Indian person in England where there was there, there still was that sort of finding my identity and I felt very confused growing up um I was at the time forced to go to what well, I'm a Sikh, so I was forced to go to Sikh school, and there I learned Punjabi, and I was actually able to get an A level in Punjabi, um, which was, you know, a, a real achievement for me because I struggled with all the other GCSEs or O levels in my day and A levels at school. I really struggled with that type of learning, um, oh, okay. and um, the fact that I got an A level in my own language gave me some confidence that I could achieve something that I could do these things. <laughs> Um, so um, that and, and although it was forced at the time, I realise now in retrospect, it was actually the making of me because it helped me to understand that I could actually learn something and do something with a with a language, and um, have since discovered you know, that I can. Um, I have a way of learning languages. I, it, it opens up so many things for you. It's helped me immensely with my career. I've worked in lots of different jobs. One of the roles I've had is um, working on a project called Our Languages, where we celebrated a mother tongue and um, we were able to work with the government with funding from the government and funding from other charities um, to show that if a child is encouraged to learn their mother tongue um, and um, have confidence in their culture learn about their culture so whether that's through dance through you know um, religious classes whatever it is um, they actually get some um, better educational outcomes than children who aren't and that's not just language that's just generally so they get better grades in their GCSEs if they're encouraged to celebrate their culture and their um, bilingualism and it opens oh, up their really mind to a different way of thinking as well so um at the time, I think I had a really tough time growing up um, bilingual because I thought it helped me back. But looking back now, I realise how much benefit it had as well. So, yeah. oh, okay. a, a so did your sword. parents did your parents speak Punjabi in the home, or you only got that at school? My parents only spoke Punjabi at home. Um, okay. My mother couldn't read or write, so that was another yeah. challenge. Um, and um, I only spoke English at school. So as soon as the moment I walked into in through the door, the idea was that I was Indian, you know. And I think I think yeah. part of that was they always thought they were going to have to go back one day, you know that. They wanted us to be able to go mm. back and readjust and live in that. And I never, and I only visited India when I was five, and then not again until I was sixteen. So there was a huge gap in oh, my wow. cultural understanding of where I came from and everything. So yeah, yeah, yeah it's very different to your um, experience of um, being bilingual, Romana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like the idea that you kind of said that you were forced uh, mm. to learn it in school, implying that there was like you didn't want to. No, like, I didn't. Sort of I, I I really struggled to come to terms with being Indian. Um, because I wanted to be like the other kids at school. I wanted to be white. I wanted to be, I wanted to fit in. I didn't want to, you know, have all those challenges that you have as a Yeah, yeah, so. like growing up in certain environments, you yes, kind of feel yeah. like that's the norm. Yeah. And like growing up white, growing up like kind of like everyone else, 
just like that's the norm and I'm different. Yes, and, and I'm different. And when you're a child, to... you don't want to be different. You want to be yeah. you want to be the that's same like as really everybody affecting. else. Yeah, and it's only as you get older that you you realize you're unique and you have this you know, uniqueness which is what makes you stand out. But growing up can be quite difficult in that sort of setting. Yeah. And when I think of my own children now, um, it's totally different. It's a completely different um, era, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's been a while since like I was a child as well, but um, I kind of <laughs> uh, kind of have the f- the same kind of feeling as you, like that idea of being forced like to learn another language, mm-hmm. like everyone else isn't doing it. What's the what's yeah. the point? And I just I don't want to be different to anyone else. Like I uh, grew up in a well, my parents are Nigerian; they speak uh, the Yoruba language in Nigeria, um, but I didn't grow up learning that language at all. And it was kind of like a sense of oh yeah, the parents are having their adult conversation in their language, mm. and I this isn't for my years. I yeah. don't need to like know this or whatever. But then yeah, growing up. Um, you go to family barbecues or whatever and you, you know you don't need to know the language to know when someone's making fun of you because you can't understand what they're yes. saying you know what I mean <laughs> there's, there's like an effort of yeah I've like lost out in in some sense in some way because yeah I didn't grow up with that uh, and I guess this is kind of where white and black is helpful because it kind of makes learning a different language in a sense yeah. like fun yes, rather than yeah. just your parents forcing you or society kind of making you feel weird for doing it. Like yeah, if you can yeah, see yeah. why I'm black in a I, I think it's I think it's really yeah. clever because um when I grew up, you could only get books in Punjabi or books in English. There wasn't a crossover. You know, you, you had to yeah. read one or the other. You couldn't read them both at the same time. And I think bilingual books now have really moved on. And I think that's really exciting. And what mm. you've done, Romano, is to show that it's fun in both languages. And that could be quite hard. Um, to, that was hard to find when I was growing up. Yeah. Olu, Olu, what about you? How did you grow up? And uh, what was, uh, what, how was bilingualism treated in, in your home? And has it affected your uh, sort of professional adult life in any way yeah um quite interesting um for me it's a bit different um i grew up i was born in nigeria um i grew up in nigeria i was there for 27 years um before i moved to england so um going to school we were taught in english but um in my house so i grew up four of us and just my mum um we only spoke Yoruba, which is the same as yourself, uh, Josh. Mm. Um, my mom would only speak Yoruba to us in the house. Even though we answer with English, she would reply back with Yoruba. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she was always like that. She was, you know, she does. Initially, she was like, okay, um, you know, speak to me. Don't speak to me in English. Always only speak to me in Yoruba. <laughs> but because, you know, we at school, we weren't speaking that language. So um, we used to always come back and speak English. Uh, so she just got used to it. And she was like, that's fine. I'm just going to answer you back in Yoruba. <laughs> in order and, to make a uh, problem in your life. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just refuse so, to speak this lesser language. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it, it was quite interesting. Um, obviously, we then had to learn how to write it as well, mm. apart from speaking it. And then I had grandparents who spoke a different dialect of the same language. Oh, that's the worst. Which even made it a bit more difficult. Um, so every time we went to see my grandparents, they'll be speaking to me and they'll they'll be insulting my mom in that language, saying, why haven't you taught them how to understand this, this side of the language? You've only taught them the basic side of the language. And, you know, so again, we had to learn the dialects of that one language as well. 
So yeah, gr- growing up was it was fun. Um, being able to speak in- English to us was obviously a, the second language, as it were. Um, but because we were all taught in English, it, it made it made things look a bit different from our point of view. So when everything you know, when you watch TV, it's all in English. Everything around you is in English. But my mom made sure that you know that Yoruba everywhere we went to. So unlike you, when we go to family gatherings, no one can make fun of us yeah. because we're, we're, <laughs> we're all speaking the same language. Um, so yeah, I, I loved it. I, I was never really good at writing it, um, but you know, speaking it was 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 um, really good. Um, and Nigeria, being the way it is, it's we've got. Loads of languages, I'm sure it's the same with Kelly and Romana. Um, so again, instead trying to learn different languages as well, apart from the one you speak, um, and we speak something called Pidgin English, which is broken English as well. Oh, so yeah. everyone, everyone had to learn that as well. So basically, you don't when you see your friends, you don't speak proper English. You know, if you speak mm-hmm. proper English, they'll look at you and they'll be like, oh, "What are you on about?" You know, you have to speak that pidgin English, which is a mixture of English and Yoruba and, you know. And so, yeah, language was quite interesting growing up. Um, So I came here um, and I met my wife, who um, is from a different country. Um, And they speak a totally different language. Oh, what language? What country? uh, So my wife's from Uganda. uh, And she speaks Luganda. Um... So that made it quite interesting for our kids as well and, and for myself because I, also I don't like the fact that I'm somewhere where people are having a conversation and I don't understand what they're saying, especially <laughs> if it's my wife. Um, so I found myself trying to learn another language as well. Oh, you don't uh, want her having secret conversations with the kids that... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. That might affect you or your wallet <laughs> that you don't know about. <laughs> So, yeah, language became more interesting when we had kids. Um, so it means they had to then learn two different languages. Uh, to make it even more difficult, we had a childminder who spoke a totally different language. He was a family oh, friend. Um, and what does that so, like? Yeah, my son was really confused initially. You know, he would speak the language of, of the childminder to us and we'd be like, well, what's he saying? Is that from your language? No, is it from yours? You know? <laughs> It was it was quite interesting, but you know, I I, I loved it. Um and I still, you know, have an I mean this is this is probably like a good jump off into like the next question, although I'll briefly like stop back on what you said previously. I like the idea of your grandparents telling your parents, Oh, um or telling your mother even like, Oh, you've only taught him the basic languages and my language is advanced. And you've only <laughs> given him level one. Yeah, <laughs> What's yeah. the matter with you? I didn't do this with you. Why have you done this with him? That's yeah. that's exactly something my grandparents would have said to my parents. <laughs> no, 100%. But, um, but yeah, you've kind of brought up the children. So now, uh, yeah, we've all kind of explained like our upbringings. And Romani, you kind of touched on it a little bit of your desire for your, uh, for your daughter. But how do you pass that on? Uh, how do you pass on that? Uh, that ability to learn sort of multiple languages uh, or to speak multiple languages. I mean, we kind of mentioned that schools, if you grow up in England, then everyone's spe- they're speaking English in the schools and then you kind of say it at home. But is that really the right way to go about it? I mean, how have you kind of uh, 
raised your children bilingually? Do you make a conscious effort to do it or is it natural? What's, what's our techniques here? Um, do you want me to go first? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure, Amanda, yeah. Yeah, um, so, I mean, it has definitely been a conscious effort. Uh, first of all, uh, my background is very similar to Oru's. Uh, I came here when I was 27. Before that, I had, um, my education in Bangladesh was um, um, an English medium, but they call it. Um, the medium of instruction was English. So um, I'm very, very comfortable speaking Benglish. So uh, it's kind of like <laughs> English. Bangla and English. Yeah, it's a mixture of both. Uh, so I'm very comfortable switching between the two languages, but you know, carrying on a conversation just in English or just in Bangla is, uh, it can be quite taxing for my brain. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so it has been a conscious effort to just speak in, in uh, Bangla with my daughter. But the first two years of her life, I just, um, you know, just even though it made my brain really tired, I would just, you know, uh, the main thing that I did early on was I kind of just pointed to things and gave her the Bangla words for it just to set up the foundations of the language. Yeah, that right? kind of association of this and this word, yeah. Exactly. Um, and I knew that she was getting enough input in English from other people, and I was the only one um, giving her <laughs> input in Bangla, so I just carried on doing that. And then when she started speaking, she chose to speak in English, uh, never said a Bangla word. Um, and that's understandable because um, mm -hmm. conversations aren't really modeled to her, right? Uh, she yeah. hears English conversations, but she doesn't hear Bangla conversations mm -hmm. so much. But so to kind of... Um, well, but, but how that, did that feel, that, like for you, putting in the effort for so many years and then when she gets the choice of her own to just go English? I was that... very annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> That's what <laughs> I was, I was like, thinking. Do you know the work I put in? I kind of understood, like... Even in her little brain, she figured out that it's much more useful this language because, you know, um, yeah. that's going to get her further than speaking Bangla when she's in the UK, right? So, um, uh, no, I was just, uh, I, I thought about it. I thought maybe I should just model more conversations, uh, Bangla conversations. So I, I, I try and call my, uh, my father or my sisters in Bangladesh and uh, to help her see conversations happen. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah so she can so, see the kind of uh, useful, practical, actual application of, yeah, the words that you're teaching her rather than just identifying a thing as a bangle word. Exactly, that's it. And also, um, she's a little trader at the moment. I cannot be forcing her to do anything. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, or, or even like, hint at the fact that I'm trying to coax her to do something. So I just try to, um, uh, I kind of introduce rich, varied language uh, through books, which is what we do in, we read books uh, out to her quite a lot. So yeah, no coaxing, no forcing, just <laughs> letting her appreciate language. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe. 
especially with teenagers, as soon as you tell them you want something from them or of them, or you try to make something look cool or like attractive, that's when they turn off immediately. Um, oh, like yeah. just in general with everything. Teenagers are worse. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. I hope you listen to this podcast as well. This would be amazing about to hear. Um, <laughs> oh, Kelly, I mean, uh, yeah, do you have any kind of thing to add on that? How, how have you kind of raised, um, if you are even raising bilingual children? Oh, um, do you want to go first? Okay. Um, so um, for us, it's, um, I tend to speak uh, the, the language more when I'm angry at them. <laughs> um, <laughs> when I'm telling them off, that's when I. That's when the natural native yeah, <laughs> kind of emotion. Comes when that out. comes out, then they know, yeah, daddy's angry. Um, <laughs> but they understand it, you know, um, and that's the thing. Um, even though it's it's usually easier when both parents are speaking the same language, the children can pick it up. But when they speak when they speak different languages, it's even more difficult. So when I'm telling them off. I'm doing it in my language. The <laughs> missus is doing it in her language. But they both they both understand it. Um, they both understand where we are both coming from. Um, I try to speak um, the language just the way my mom did um, to my kids, but they weren't having it. Um, <laughs> it was, and it's been quite difficult um, for my son. He's, he's at a stage where... He's like a sponge. He's more curious, you know, at nine. He's trying to pick up things. He's curious when you talk in a language. But my daughter, so I've got a disabled daughter, um, so she she doesn't pick up things like every other child would. Um, so for her, it's more of a struggle. Um, so with her, we've just stuck to majority of English. We don't, we don't speak any other language because we're struggling mm-hmm. to speak English anyway. Um, but we're hoping that while we speak that with, with my son, she'll you know assimilate the same thing and and grow with it. So yeah, um, yeah so the house majorly it's, it's English. Um, I, I, it's really difficult because at times I find myself speaking English to the wife and I'm, and I and I start speaking my my language in between the whole thing, and Slip she's like, yeah. "What are you doing?" <laughs> yeah, but you don't you don't know it really. Yeah, because it, 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 yeah, it's unconscious. Um, and it's the same with the children. But with the children, they they do get the story, they get the picture, um, they know, they understand where we're from. Um, and I think it also affects their identity as well for the children. Um, because you know, I would always say it. Yes, I always ask my son. I'm like, where, where do you think you're from? It, and he says, "Oh, I'm British," and I'm like, "It's like I'm British, but my my roots are Nigeria and Uganda." And I'm like, "Oh, that's 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 quite interesting. Why do you think so? Because oh, mom's from here, dad's from here, you know. Because a lot of our children are, are losing their identity, identity. Um, because mm. they don't they don't know where mm. to fit in, um, and language helps them to fit in. Culture helps them to fit in." And not losing all that is 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 quite an important thing. So it's about drumming it in them, making them realize, you know, this is where the parents are from. Ideally, you are not from there, but your heritage is from there. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, so that kind of work, like making that kind of conscious effort, is important too. It is, yeah, and yeah. it's a, it's it's hard it's work. It's a real it's a real dilemma. I still find I still get asked, "Where are you from?" And having a name like Kelly Saley Badwell, people always yeah. Quest, the first thing they always ask me is, "Where are you from?" And I'm kind of like, "Right, okay." So what do you mean? Where I'm from? Derby. I was born there. And kind of, <laughs> yeah. Okay, and then, and then they kind of don't oh, know what no, to but, say next. Really. Said, you're, you're asking yeah. about my heritage. Okay, my heritage is Indian. My parents are from India, but I was born in this country. I have an Indian heritage. Yes, you know, and it's that kind of, and that can be quite a distinction to make because I still see myself as Indian, but I'm also British. So it can be quite, um, yeah. That's one of the questions people generally almost always ask me is and yeah. you kind of almost have to place yourself and prove and I think bilingualism and culture and heritage are such an interesting topic they you are. know and it's yeah. it's yeah yeah it, it does a lot of it does go hand in hand but um it's a really um it's a, it's a it's it can be a very divisive topic as well it's it's a, a conversation that can be really difficult to have but yeah you're absolutely right Ollie, that that conversation about where are you from it's very, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, because it's normally presented in a way that it should be a very simple question yes. with a very simple answer, but it often isn't, which is fine. It's yeah, sort of like, yeah. you know, that answer can be multifaceted. It could be split amongst, well, yeah, like, oh, like your children. There's a, uh, there's, I was born in this country, but my one, my one parent's from this country, my yeah. one parent's from this country, and we also have grandparents that speak a different dialect from this, like, sort of region. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it can, and all of these things make up me. Make yes. my identity. Yes. Yeah, that yeah, is yeah. fine. But yeah. then, um, yeah, certain situations, certain environments, uh, the world you grew up in might not make, might not uh, accept that answer as valid, which is sad sometimes. But yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. but then we have, well, yeah, more kind of culture, more uh, activities and events and media and yeah, books and films and stuff that normalize that kind of multifaceted, multilingual idea, which I think is good, which we're seeing like more and more out there in the world, hence um, getting white and black on the podcast. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, my, so just to go back to um, my children, um, so my children aren't bilingual, they both speak English mostly. Um, um, one, of the, one of the challenges I've had is I married um, somebody who is from India, but um, he grew up in Australia as well, but um, he speaks um, Hindi um, and he speaks it in a very modern way. And I speak Punjabi in the way that was probably spoken about 50 years ago in the village that my parents came from. <laughs> so um, when I speak, he tells me I sound like his grandmother. So not very romantic at all. <laughs> um, so we're not, um, we, we don't, we tend to speak in English to each other and um, my Hindi is good and it comes from Bollywood films because that's another passion of mine um, wow. and um, but it's, I, I don't feel you know as confident in it as he does and um, again he, he speaks English you know there's um, a bit of Hindi and a English, bit of English yeah it's, it's, yeah yeah so, so um, yeah so so we've again a bit like you Ollie we kind of go back to speaking English because it's and the language we both speak well and hence yeah. the kids are picked up they do know enough words to be able to communicate with they go to India every year um, and spend the summer there with their grandparents um, but their grandparents both speak English as well as as, as do all their 
cousins and uncles and aunts and when we go over there it's a novelty for them because they're like speak to us in English because we want to learn it properly we want you to talk English all the time don't speak anything else yeah, kind of, right okay we're here to learn your language yeah. and you're trying to you know and it's that kind of yeah so um, that, that's always quite interesting and, Gosh, and yeah. I find that when I go to India now it's no different to being in England there isn't that cultural divide anymore everybody there has moved on you know it was it isn't what it was when my parents left the country so it's changed so much that I don't feel any different going there than I do being in London so it's um you know it, there, there isn't that divide anymore or any differences in culture or anything so everything is literally the same over there as it would be here so um it's um but I'm I'm very very proud of my culture so I'm constantly teaching my kids about my culture I'm constantly teaching them about our background where we come from you know the things we eat and they love their Asian food um yeah you know, food's it, in your household yes isn't it? yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> prefer it to anything else um they um understand the dressing the dresses we wear, the saris, the salar kameezas and everything, they understand all that. Um, yeah, they, they get the culture, which I think is just as important as the language. And yeah, there, there is a part of me that is bereft that I haven't taught them the language, but they have learnt enough to be able to get by. They understand the basic words. They can have a, you know, how are you conversation with people who don't speak English, you know, that sort of thing. So they can have some conversations. They can watch a Bollywood movie. They usually do. <laughs> so, <laughs> I can't do them too badly, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also, yeah, if you want to have a secret conversation with the other half. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. They always know. They always say, oh, we know <laughs> what you're talking, mountains. we know what you're saying. <laughs> I know no, you're talking it's... about me. I know what you just said. <laughs> no, yeah. And it's, yeah, I did send my um, older son, um, who's now at university, to... Um, um, Sikh school um, and he went for a while and we eventually chose to pull him out because they were putting pressure on him to grow his hair, wear a turban, to um, you know grow up as a Sikh with long hair and wearing all the Sikh traditional stuff and that I didn't feel was there. Um, it wasn't their choice. It was a choice yeah, that we had made together with him. And um, it's not something I wanted dictated by somebody outside of the family circle. So I chose to take him out of that sadly. But um, it's it's difficult because you want them to make their choices and you want them to have all the information they can have to make the choices that they make. But it's, um, it's a really difficult one because we have a very strict um, if you're going to, you know, to be a Sikh, you can't cut your hair, you have to wear it long, you have to cover it, all that kind of stuff. And we chose um, not to do those things for our own personal reasons. And that's that's a difficult one as well, because that's when culture and religion start colliding and that gets even more difficult. So um, it's, um, yeah. yeah, it's trying to make those choices, but um, doing it for the reasons that you believe you want to do it for. Yeah, yeah that's a good point and um yeah i'd actually like to maybe quickly kind of expand on that like how much of an influence does uh, society like your native society have on mm. your choice of how to raise your kids so like ollie you're saying that um your grandparents would obviously chastise your mother for not having to her uh, not having her, not her having taught her kids like her specific, their specific um, sort of dialect. Uh, so, like, would that then kind of spur your mum because you know her her elders are telling her to do a certain thing? Um, does that um, like make her want to do a certain way? Or well, I think the thing about my mum was she was a rebel. So whatever <laughs> whatever you say really doesn't change what she wants to do. Um, so as much as, because interestingly, um, a little story about her. Um, so my dad was a Christian 
and my mom was born into a Muslim family, so she converted to a Christian to marry my dad. So my granddad had always not liked us because we were Christians, and he was a, a Muslim. Um, so that even made it even so the relationship was a bit tricky um, because he, he used to call us a name which meant Christian. Um, every time he looked at us, he would be like, "You Christians, kind of thing." <laughs> oh, and, kind of like a yeah. Like so a I, I found him really so funny. funny. Yeah, like a slur. Um, so every time he said that to my mom, my mom just goes, "Oh, he's just this old man ranting again, kind of thing." <laughs> so she never really make the effort she just said to us look if you don't understand if you want to understand it you know this is what you need to do this is how you can understand it and at the end of the day we all got to understand it um at our own pace and time because we went we weren't forced to do that so then moving down the generation for you and feel free to interject Romana okay but um yeah does your parents does their kind of influence on you like have any influence on how you raise your children absolutely yeah you know it's 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 because it's culture you want to continue that culture and that tradition so as kelly was saying you know the children know about all the you know traditional clothes we have all the food we eat you know the kind of as you may know just from growing up when you want to greet your parents you have to you know lie down lie down flat on the floor yeah you know Um, full on press up yeah 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 so all those kind of things you you want to still keep those and and in that and not let it go with any new traditions that because they are born in England and they are British does not mean that they lose a tradition um, because the tradition is part of us and it should remain part of us as well yeah i'll so, definitely say on the um on the kneeling uh, it's, a, it's a sign of respect for your yeah, elders thing. yeah we do the but same thing in our them. culture as well yeah the the, uh, the boys have oh, they they still they will uh, still do it and they touch their grandparents feet when they meet them and that's um, yeah. that's like a sign of respect as well and we always greet with our hands together and we have a certain way of saying hello which is which is you know kind of be blessed kind of thing so god is one sort uh, thing so yeah i remember i remember i have i have an uncle who um and you know i'm about to tell a story here and i pray to god my dad doesn't hear this but i have an uncle um older than this my is a podcast <laughs> it's going everywhere i know oh you might not hear me next week uh, um uh, i have an uncle older than my father so sort of my father's elder and very much my elder um who whenever he'd like come to visit the house yeah i'd obviously have to prostrate and he'd always insist in such a full school way like you know when it wasn't quite natural for me to like you know get down on the floor and like bow and stuff uh he'd always like grab me by the scruff of my neck and really push me down to the earth <laughs> just to just to get that respect instilled in me and then sometimes i'd look at my own father thinking aren't you gonna do anything about this uh, and because the uncle was older than him no he couldn't he just looked back yeah. at me like oh well no sorry that's how it works so yeah, uh, yeah. kiss Absolutely. the ground man <laughs> kiss the ground man yeah. um yeah. so yeah yeah so, i mean just kind of rounding off that uh yeah parental or societal influence on you whether that yeah. has an it's, impact it's, on how you yeah it's, it's it's really interesting because where i grew up um there was a ghetto you know where people of certain religions lived together um so you had muslims living in one area of derby you had the sikhs living in one area english people never go near those areas it was that kind of divide unfortunately um and even when i go back now um 
we call it the village because it is like going back home to India to a village because those people have stayed together, they live together. You go to certain areas, you will only see Sikh people walking around those areas. You'll see Sikh shops, Sikh food shops, Sikh clothes shops, the the Gurdwara, you know, all those things are all together and they're still there together. And you get the same sort of people living in those areas. And that um, they've, they've really held on to their roots. And there's a real fine balance and it's really hard to achieve of moving forward living in a western country and you know you've come here to make yourselves better to take advantage of you know all the um things that you get in a, a country like England, like education, health, all those kind of outcomes that we all aspire to, um, to get that, but to also hold on to your culture. It's a really, really fine balance and it, it can be quite hard yeah. to find that tipping point. Um, but when, yeah, you can find it, but it is it is hard work. Mm. Uh, yeah, and that's a really good point to finish on because we're almost out of time. So um, <laughs> yeah, speaking about um, where to get it, uh, the book we've been talking about, White and Black by uh, Romana Yasmin, it's available to be purchased online through www.awhiteandblackbook.com. That's www.awhiteandblackbook.com. Uh, I also wanted to mention that um, for any of our listeners, for any of our residents, we're based in Sutton, which is in the south of London. And uh, if English is a secondary language, you might be uh, preparing for the International English Language Exam or the ILEs exam, I-E-L-T-S exam. Well, we've got an app for that. If you're a registered Sutton Library member, then we have the Road to ILEATS uh, app, which is full of sort of practice quizzes and uh, lessons in reading and writing and uh, listening in English. And there's loads of stuff for you to like get involved with. So if you're registered for Sutton Libraries, uh, the Road to ILEATS uh, app may be the thing for you. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining me. Thank you for joining us on this podcast, uh, you listeners out there. Um, feel free to follow us on social media, at Sutton Libraries on Twitter, at Sutton Libraries on Twitter, or Sutton Libraries London on Facebook and Instagram. We've got loads of activities and events going on there, and you'll see uh, all the new updates about us. Uh, thank you so much, Romana, for being with us. Uh, thank you, Olu. Right, thank right. you, Kelly. Thank you. Uh, thanks to Oliver, our audio engineer, for uh, engineering this episode. You do really great work for us. And uh, yeah, final thoughts, everyone. I mean, just uh, thank you and goodbyes or what? Any, any final things to say? Um, it's yeah. been interesting because um, we started off talking about being bilingual and we've covered all the areas of that whole conundrum of being bilingual, of having a different um, culture, your heritage. Um, that's been really fascinating for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I would say that it's just an uphill battle raising a bilingual child, but <laughs> it's, it's, I think it's, it's going to be worth it um, because I already see that my child is interested in languages in general. So, yeah, just keep at it. <laughs> Yeah, um, I agree with with um, with everyone. Um, I think this is well worth doing. Having bilingual children, I think we should make sure we keep our traditions um, with all our children and and continue to try. That's that's what we can do. Try and lead by example. Okay, brilliant. Thank you so much for joining me. I've been your host, Josh. Thank you so much, everyone. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.